Hello and welcome to the Friendship News Hour book review of Sapiens by Yuval Noah Harari. Today we are going to start with part three, the unification of humankind, chapter nine, the era of history, and chapter 10, the scent of money. My name is Frank Huerta. I am joined as always by Alex Kenzie. Hello, Alex. Hello, hello. That was a great intro, man. It was firm and informative. I appreciate that. (laughs) I appreciate that. Um, so what'd you think of, of these two? It was some information, man. I liked it. It, it, uh, I feel like he starts to touch on the things that perhaps like helped keep society in check, um, as different religions and different ideas and myths, you know, all kind of started to verge away from each other. And you had all these different people, like what is, what are the common things you need to, what became the common things to continue to bring people together and let us communicate one way or the other. Yeah, definitely. Uh, before we get started on these two chapters, let's uh, take a brief look back at our, our previous review of chapter seven, memory overload and chapter eight. Um, there it is. There is no justice in history. So chapter seven was basically about um, <clears throat> as the agricultural revolution began to bear its fruits, we multiplied by uh, a large margin and we lost the ability to form relationships with uh, everybody in our in our bands. So we made hierarchies and we made uh, structures of, of living. And as that progressed, um, we created ways to uh, remember things that our brain simply did not have the ability to. Um, this led to the invention of partial, what they call partial scripts, mm-hmm. um, such as mathematics and the binary code that allowed us to uh, begin to think more or less as human filing cabinets and, and bureaucrats rather than just. Uh, you know, what a human being would think of without, uh, in, in the absence of, of these two, uh, of these two partial scripts. So it basically was talking about memory and how we needed to find a way to store down information. Um, and then it led to chapter eight. So there, this is still part of the agricultural revolution. I, 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 I missed the connection from, the memory portion to this portion, but it begins to talk about, um, injustices in history and the central theme around the injustices of history are that the people committing the atrocities had justification for them because they felt their way of thinking, their, their way of life and their beliefs came about naturally as if they were, bestowed upon them by God or, you know, some essence of that, um, that metaphor. So it talked a lot about American slavery, talked a lot about how we make justifications for, uh, the characteristics of Africans being good slaves. And that's why we decided to pick them out. And all these things that freed up in our mind, the ability to do horrific things. 
Um, so, so that was the essence of that chapter that, uh, all these imagined hierarchies, all these things that we believe collectively in our mind, um, came about more or less by, by simply, uh, by simply just thinking that it was the way to be and that if it was anything else and it would be that way. So, um, Let's bring it back to chapter nine, uh, Yellow. part three of the unification of ham- humankind and chapter nine is titled the arrow of history. Um, and basically it, it poses the question, is there a path in history? Is there a way forward through history that we can see? And the author answers it. Yes. And no. And, boils it down to that our cultures are trying to constantly reconcile for the contradictions inside of them. And that is what fuels change. Right. Um, yep. So like the contract, it talks about it, contra- contradictions in, um, Socialism. I don't know if you caught that, but they talked about the Soviet Union and Mm -hmm. they said that contradictions of egalitarian society by means of totalitarian brutalism. Um, It talked about Democrats in in modern U.S. politics that want a more just society, even if it means a large spike in taxes. And by the same token, Republicans in the United States want to maintain individual freedom, uh, even if it means that the gap between rich and poor grows wider. So it talks about the, the contradictions of, you know, freedom by means of this or equality by means of, of this. And those two things trying to bring them in the middle, although it happens like magnets and we almost have no ability to do that, that force inward creates change forward. And, and I think that's what he, what he, what he kind of means by the arrow of history. It's funny that our country, uh, just as an example, like literally the founding document is about or includes very heavily equality and freedom. And right, like right as this chapter gets going, he, he like Professor Harari is basically like, yeah, they contradict each other. <laughs> it's, that's not, it's not, yeah, they're not one yeah. and the same. Right. And <laughs> like, so um, our country. <laughs> he says that as we've grown to witness this these contradictions that we, you know, we've created a phrase for them called cognitive dissonance. Mm -hmm. Right. And, um, it's, it's the idea that that cultures must hold two ideas at once, you know, um, that we need to understand that there's consequences to what we do and when we try to do them. And it's those consequences that, that, tension between the things that we want and the things that we have to sacrifice for them meeting in the middle and then, and then, and then driving forward. Um, so yeah, I thought that was a cool idea there. Yeah. That's a, that's a good point. And it's funny that things, a culture would have had to deal with 3000, 5,000, 10,000 years ago are, are in they're different, but the same idea that we still face today. Yeah. So, so it talks about how, you know, this this is a more it's probably more or less a 
a human organic um, experience because for most of history, we were isolated, right? Uh, like if yeah. you were in Rome, you're completely isolated from India or China mm-hmm. or Russia or Afghanistan or even, you know, Germany because of, of your geographical location and, and how hard it would be to get there. So even though there's no connection between like a Rome and they use Teotihuacan. Teotihuacan, yeah. Yeah. Um, as being these two examples of having leaders overthrown at the same time, but being worlds apart. And so the, the cultural conflicts within these nations caused this revolution and it happened separately, but at the same time. Um, so that was, that was a cool other concept too of, of, of chapter seven. And think um, about life then when, when like you would be Roman and you're, you are Roman and that you have no other influence from anything else. Like think about like if, if I'm an Ohioan, you're a Californian and that's all you fucking know and love and hold true. It's just, yeah. it's so, <laughs> it's, it's it such a weird. weird way of life, man. I feel like today, especially with social media and all these, these other outlets, but like you're influenced by so many different things. You can travel to so many different places and, and it's, it's not, you've, we've like law. I mean, I guess that's what America is though. It's like the melting pot, which, which makes us great, but we, you don't, you really don't have that at all anymore though. Now that you can travel any, everywhere. Yeah. Right. Um, and with all this tension that's met in the middle and people that want to, you know, that have, are, are trying to combine these two con- contradicting ideas into one. Mm-hmm. Um, the author makes this point that the, there has to be something as a baseline that allows for this change to occur. Um, and he makes the point that it would be money that does this. Mm-hmm. And he even said that. Or it's one of the things that does this. I, I think he says there's going to be a couple more coming too. Well, yes and no. But, but he said it, it coincided with this, with this sort of organic human phenomenon. And that it's universal because he even made a point that like, Cortez went and and um, captured Mexico in search of gold, and that Osama bin Laden hated everything about America except her almighty dollar. Right, like he was very fond of money. He's a you know incredibly wealthy person, mm-hmm. and um, so it kind of said that this is more or less the universal equalizer of of this phenomenon of, of these, of the tension of ideas, contradicting ideas, progressing forward change also came with the advent of money to facilitate it. Um, and how fragile it is because it's all, it's all in our mind, you know, it's all like money, for example, used to be the U S dollar used to be backed up by the gold standard, right? It's the, the currency of the United States is backed up by a material worth of value. Right. And now it's 
It's just a fiat currency, which is literally the definition of fiat currency is that it exists in your mind and is backed up by, by it's backed up by the collective agreement that this currency has value. Yeah. Um, so like we don't even fake it anymore, you know, it's just blatant, blatant imagined stuff that has tremendous power over all of us. And, and it starts to make the case in chapter 10, the scent of money that it is, it is money is something that is transformed power basically. It has taken power and, in, and brought it into a new material, tangible weapon that if yeah. you possess it, now you hold the cards to your future and somebody else does not. Um, Which is terrifying from today's standpoint. When he said, when I read that, I, I thought the exact same. And if you think about that from today, he says that. Uh, today, the sum of all the money in the world is around $60 trillion, yet the total sum of all like coins and banknotes, any kind of paper currency, mm-hmm. is less than $6 trillion. Yeah. So more than 90% of the power in the world is... Mm-hmm. It's fairy dust. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, we talked about it so on, the, on the podcast a couple of days ago, but, but like talking about the money of today's billionaires and millionaires or like Jeff Bezos. And you say mm-hmm. he's worth, I don't know, was he worth a trillion or something? I don't even know how much he's worth. The unfathomable yeah, number. Yeah. But it's like you said, it's not like there's, it's not like there's cash backing up that wealth, that right. value. It's, it's the value of something that he owns and that if he decided to walk away, somebody would buy it for that much. Right. Right. So it's, yeah, it is. It's all more or less imagined wealth. Um, But that is real. And that's backed up by centuries of markets and doing business and this, right? Like where it started, uh, the chapter 10, the scent of money, it it starts by uh, Hernan Cortez and and it gives a quote for Cortez as he, as he goes to, um, as he goes to Mexico and they ask him why they're so interested in gold because to the, to the native people, it didn't mean currency. And so he said, I and my companion suffer a disease of the heart that can only be cured with gold. Right. These guys had a lust for gold, for money, for what it represented. It existed in their mind as the most important thing because of what it represented. Um, and And it makes the point again that, if you were in a small community like the natives in, in Mexico, you were more or less self-sufficient. You could trade and you could barter and you had people who had skills that could do this and that, and you didn't need a whole lot because you didn't have a whole lot to provide for. Right. So money wasn't an idea that these people held at all. Really. It was more or less like, Oh, you know, I do this, I do my part because I know they're going to back me up. But the larger a society gets, the more that becomes a unsustainable reality, right? They talk about um, how central bartering 
on a large scale has failed massively in, in the Soviet Union. And it said that, you know, it, what it was supposed to be was I do my part, somebody else does their part, we bring it to the middle and it gets distributed to everybody. And what happened was I'm going to do as little as I can to get by and take as much as I can receive. Yeah. <clears throat> and, um, love the idea, but it's, I think it's apparent that there needs to be some sort of tangible or even intangible, but accepted mode of currency of, of money to make this kind of thing happen. Because if not, then even though it, it does spawn a lot of greed and there's, there's definitely a, a ton that goes wrong with it. I think there, there is no other real, um, alternative. If, for example, if you look at what it was like to price some things in the Soviet union, mm. like you like, what does it cost? What does it cost that bike right there that you're, that you're speaking on. Mine's like 65 bucks. This one's uh, 450. Okay. Yeah. See, why does yours cost more than mine? Uh, cause it's cooler, honestly. Um, well, right. And if you listen to this, you'll probably think that his voice sounds a little bit clearer and crisper than mine. And that's fine. We're still audible, but no, no, that's just cause I edited the podcast. So I just make myself sound better. <laughs> 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 but the material that your microphone yes. is made of is of higher quality. Yes. And it performs the task better than mine does. So they can put it out at the market for more than what mine costs. Right. And they will probably get the money for it. But that is because you've decided to pay that money for it based on your options and what it can do for you. If you try to price items artificially, what you're trying to do is literally hold like a thousand pounds of sand in two hands. And every time one keeps falling, you have to pick up because you can never have the ability to know what everything costs. It's impossible. Right. How you did that work back then? Do you know, like it in, in the Soviet Union, like did, did, corruption, did, did, mass corruption. Like, if you go to the all. store, I'm just curious if you go to the store, like, would it just be like milk or would it, would it be, be like branded no food? But like, but was there like one thing of everything that, and you would just like receive that as part of your, as part of that whole communism I, idea? I don't, I don't know the inner workings of, of, okay. of socialist countries, but it's, sure. it, it's essentially one entity, the state mm -hmm. controls all. And, brings all into the middle and you have so many bureaucratic sections all over the place. And those things report upwards and this person can't let this person down. And that person can't let that person down. That person needs this thing. This person needs this thing. And it's just this big fucking stupid mix of all this stuff gets corrupted, gets jammed up the middle of bureaucracy right? to the point where nobody knows what, what the hell is going on? Nobody's, nobody's being able to, to eat because nobody's been able to grow food because everybody's incompetent and they're not letting, they're not letting the people who know what they want to do, do it. Yeah. And just, 
Another good example of that is Zimbabwe, when not too long ago, they decided that they were going to forcefully remove all of the white farmers from the land and replace them with black farmers to make up for whatever it was that they did. I'm not privy to all the atrocities of Zimbabwe, but that's what they did. Wow. And nobody was able to grow food because nobody knew what the hell that they were doing. And their currency went into hyperinflation and you can now buy like a, a trillion dollar Zimbabwe note on Amazon for like 20 bucks. Really? Yeah. It doesn't, it, 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 it has no value. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, so when you try to control those levers, particularly with socialism, you, you, you don't allow for your intent is to make sure that the resources are used to their maximum ability. But the only way to do that is to motivate people through the only way that I think I know how. And I think what this chapter is trying to say is that the natural progression of things happen because of the motivation of a, of a third party, if you will. I have one thing, you have one thing. This third party is on a sliding scale and wherever we meet at in the middle is where we allow for, and this is earned or unearned or scarce or available and unavailable, but there's a, 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 in theory, in our imagination, a finite amount of it or Mm -hmm. that we can have or lose or whatever, you know, it it exists in our head as a solid idea. Um, So after it talks about central bartering and how it, it's not, it in practice didn't work out very well. Um, it basically just said it made the point again that money is in our imagination and um it is a it it does make a good point on money because i think what we think of as money is just like cash right when you think of money you think of money right what you're what you have to 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 spend if you need it or whatever um but it's also so much more than that so much my my economics professor my undergrad he used to call it cash, funny, green money. Yeah. And he used to tell us all the time, like, this isn't money. This is what I'm holding here. It's not money. And he would tell us all the time. He said, it's currency and it's good currency because if you go to, if you go to anywhere in the world, they're going to tell you is good. It was his line all the time. They're going to tell you is good because it's good everywhere because of the currency and what it's backed up by, but it's not money. Like your money is your, what you own, your house, your boat, your cars, your collection of baseball cars, your, whatever it is, whatever it is that you own is money. And, um, I think that this, this chapter basically just gave example after example, after example of yeah yeah the plight of money and what money is yeah in the past he 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 mentions it's been shells cattle skins right. grain salt in, beads in um in the holocaust it was cigarettes yeah yeah the stats he, the numbers he gave was crazy like in, in concentration camps it said bread was 12 cigarettes uh 10 ounces of butter uh was 30 cigarettes a watch would range from 80 to 200 and yeah. if you wanted a quarter gallon of alcohol, it was four hundred. Mm-hmm. How are yeah. they? How are they getting cigarettes in concentration? There's a, there's a really good um, um, 
book about that or article or something. Hmm. I forget what it was. I have to look it up, but they, yeah, like it was just like rations that they would get. And always, always came with cigarettes. Gotcha. I think it's an article. It's, it is an article. Yeah. We'll find it. We also read about this, but, um, but yeah, it was just basically rations that they would get and they would hold on to them and Mm. it would be their currency. And that's how they did it. It's like prison. Prison, right. Prison has the same kind of vibe when you're, when you're talking about currency, things mean what they mean in there. And so, um, so yeah, I mean, that was basically the chapter. Honestly, it, it, it didn't get into like greed or corruption very much. It didn't get into any of those themes when you think of money. It just made the point that bad or good or otherwise, we have been and probably always will be motivated by money. That's what, a psychological whatever form concept. it is. What's that? It's a psychological construct. Yeah, a hundred percent. A hundred percent all made up on our minds, but we're if history tells us anything, we're not giving that up. No. Yeah. And, um, so yeah, like I said, good, bad, good or otherwise. Uh, and, and if you have a better idea of what we should do, I'm all ears, but it seems to me that the, this, this is it. Yeah. Seems like it works, man. They, he even has a cool little story about, uh, Christians and Muslims in the early days, Christians used to, uh, even the bishops of the city would, because of where they lived, would pay with a coin that on the coin said, there is one God and Allah is his prophet. <laughs> it, and it's like, that's like totally against your whole religion and what, what you're yeah. doing. But like money's money, baby. Yeah. And it speaks everywhere. <laughs> and, and it also talked about how a, a prostitute would, would work for money that she would then go and pay for um what were those things they had they had paid for it back in the day to get him to heaven oh you know, that martin luther had a problem with um yeah well if you know it you probably you're yelling it in your, your head right now but uh, <laughs> i want to say tithing but it's not tithing it's uh and it's not reparations it's I i'm looking remember. this shit up for it uh Indulgence, yeah, the sale of indulgences. Yep. Yes. Pardons for sins. Yes. <laughs> yes. So she would work for her indulgences with indulgences. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, it's it is pretty wild. It is pretty wild. Um, I think you're right, though. It'll it'll always be something in our society, whether it become you know from Bitcoin to whatever the hell else. It, it'll it's always something that allows people that may not have the same beliefs, cultures, religion, even any, from anywhere in the same part of the world, you can still figure out how to do business, how to get what you need, one way or the other, with mm-hmm. it. Agreed, and I, and I think uh, I think that nothing is perfect, but I definitely think we got the best thing going on still with our with our system and how we allow people to operate in money sure i think there's definitely a ton of restrictions and it's hard um and i guess those things come out of you know they come out of uh, out of a good place right something bad happens and you got like for example 
when that whole Bernie Madoff thing went down back in like, was it 2007? Mm, ish, 2008? Yeah. Somewhere around there. Um, it spawned and probably like far too late, but it spawned an entire compliance industry within financial advising. So Jacqueline, my girlfriend, her first job mm-hmm. didn't exist before Bernie Madoff. And she was really? just a compliance officer for, um, uh, for a, a small uh, financial advising firm here in San Diego. And she just made sure that they were on the up and up and she did things coordinated with different financial institutions. And, but you know, it was, it wasn't before that, that, you know, greed took over and this guy ruined a bunch of lives and, you know, there's countless, countless examples. I'll say it. I've said it before. I'll say it again. If you haven't watched the smartest guys in the smartest men in the room, smartest guys in the room, yep, have to watch that documentary. It is bananas. Um, but you know, to me, I think that's just a story of hubris and a story of the nature of human beings and their corrupt ability. But I still don't think that that's a testament against, uh, the, the beauty that capitalism can produce. And I'm just, I'm just a firm believer in it. I think it's done far more good than harm. And like I said, it's not perfect, but, um, it's damn near as close as we've gotten this far. Yeah. I don't, I don't see another system that has worked. Yeah. There's been many. There has been, um, More, more or less, uh, the, the over, overlying theme of this chapter was just that, uh, it, it uh, n- like nothing exists in our imagination for this long and this strongly if it doesn't hold tremendous power over us. And so there's probably no reason to think that, I mean, f- crypto, right? It's not going away. It's just, it's just evolving yeah. into what we need it to evolve to. True. So, I got a question for you. What do you think is more powerful, religion or money? Money. I agree. Money, 100%. Yeah. I, religion is motivated a lot and a lot of, a lot of shit. Um, but it's also mo- it motivates a lot of good. I think money motivates all. Everyone, yeah. Money motivates all. And if it doesn't motivate you or you think it doesn't motivate you, that's because you probably don't have a lot, a lot of it, but, <laughs> it, but I'm, I'm serious. It like, it, it, it motivates everybody and it motivates religions, <laughs> you know, like they, yeah. don't, they don't, they don't like kneel to the altar of, of, uh, of money, but they also collect it every time you come to church true so, they they need money though <laughs> don't they have one of the strongest banks isn't that isn't that uh the vatican yeah. central bank i think they have they don't have to I like to report a, their holdings but i used to have a professor that would say cash is king and the most cash flow is the most important thing unless you're apple google or the vatican yeah <laughs> he says you always have to worry about cash unless you're apple google or the vatican <laughs> Yep. Yeah, hilarious. that sums it up. <laughs> hilarious. Yeah. All right, well, that's it for this one. Uh, let's that see is... where we're at next time. We're still going to be on uh, 
<clears throat> part three, the unification of ha- humankind. Uh, next time is going to be probably just Imperial visions. So that'll be interesting. Probably go into imperialism and col- colonialism and taking over countries and things like that. I, I'm guessing maybe not. Um, and then after that will be the law of religion. That'll be fun. And that wraps up part three, the unification of humankind. So two more and then uh, on to part four, which is the last part of the, the book, the scientific revolution. So I'm pumped for that. Very excited. This is uh, really fun. Hell yeah. Loving it. All right. Well, uh, we'll see you all next time. Bye-bye.